Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. You're listening to part two of Should Women Pastor? This is created in response to the recent decision of Saddleback Church in California to ordain three women pastors on Mother's Day week 2021. We hope you enjoy that and enjoy the show notes for additional resources on this topic. And without further ado, part two of Should Women Pastor? Some of the first women we've seen in the United States to be ordained as ministers was, and I assume you could count this, Olympia Brown ordained in the Universalist Church, 1869. Of course, we would say there was a disconnect in that denomination from the beginning from the gospel and biblical principles. But one that is probably more recognized in Appalachia and then also in the U.S. would be the Methodist Church was pretty quick to ordain women. Uh, starting in 1956. And if you were to look at the track record of them as a denomination, since they have ordained women, could we say that that denomination has become increasingly faithful to the scriptures and to the gospel, or are they struggling with issues from that point, right? I think recently they're, they're now trying to decide are they going to allow members of the LGBTQ and what other letters I may be missing out on here to join their ranks as ministers as well? And so it seems to me, to your point, Neil, uh, that there's a progression that once you make a compromise in this particular area, that there could be a progression into furthering the distance and being dismissive in other areas of scripture as well. And so it starts out as what may be seen as um, something small and something understandable in the culture, but there could be a lot more at stake for a denomination to start down this path as, as recent church history has taught us, you know? Yeah. And, and we, we've got to acknowledge too. I, I, I mean, and, and Chris, you, you were getting there as well. Like, like we have a long history of, of, abusing and misusing the the authority god has has given to men in the home and in the church um and 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 to your point chris we've put inappropriate men into those positions that don't line up with the other qualities and and we've we've also used some of these passages to speak in ways we shouldn't without gentleness without grace without love toward towards others who disagree with us and i think that that is to the detriment of what we're trying to say because to, to your point travel you were just saying there there again, there, there's a whole opportunity for us to, to dive from this passage, like a first Timothy chapter two, um, 11 and following to dive into a greater understanding of what God meant in, in, in manhood and womanhood or, or to move away from that. And so, so yeah, churches have chosen to do that with the word um, and, and with understanding of manhood and womanhood in a way that has harmed our witness as a whole, because think about this and, and Lewis, C.S. Lewis makes this point and a tract he wrote that that God chose to say that that through the union of a man and a woman in a mysterious way that the gospel is more fully proclaimed. And so we then, when we're messing with the roles of gender, are, are taking away one of the places that God in his mysterious wisdom 
has designed to help us understand and see the gospel more clearly. So, so we're doing an offense to God's work in creation when, when we throw these things out in the church. And maybe this doesn't need to be said, but just so we can say we've said it, none of what we're articulating here means that we want to, to dismiss or devalue women's roles in ministry or in the church, right? I mean, we've all benefited from the, the role of women in our own lives and in our churches. We've all learned from them. Uh, we, we value what they bring to the table. Church is a team sport and we need everybody actively involved. And especially in our Southern Baptist convention, you, you know, two of the most recognizable names are Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And, and where would our convention be? Where would, where would the work of, of our churches be without the, the work of those ladies and what they did? And, and even here in our community, Travis, you know, we've got a, a history of, leadership from the associational standpoint. Gertrude Hale was the associational missionary here and, and served the churches of this area very well. And so we, we don't want to be dismissive in any way of, of what God has done and, and will continue to do through godly women. Yeah, I appreciate you making that point. I was going to kind of save that point to the end, but since you brought it up, let's uh, let's expand it out a little bit more. Um, I think that I'm going to feel comfortable saying this, and I think you all will agree with me. Uh, without the work of godly women in the church, I think the work of the church would come to a screeching halt. Uh, the church could not continue to move forward in gospel faithfulness, in mission endeavors, and in all the ministries of the church that we do without the women who are there to affirm and the godly women who pray, who continue to uh, teach one another as scripture calls them to do, mm-hmm. right? That older women should teach younger women that uh, women, there are many roles in the church that some are just reserved for women, right? Like that one, it's always better for an older woman to teach a younger woman how to love her husband or children and all that. So, you know, it's not that we're saying this is not a conversation of superiority, because I don't think this is an issue of his superiority. This is an issue of how has God, has God ordered the house, uh, his house to operate in particular roles. And if so, what are those roles? And then what are the consequences from stepping away from those roles? Right. So uh, to, uh, to rewind the tape and go back to, a point Chris was making earlier, if you're interested in hearing, I guess I'm going to say a more broad complementarian position, a book that would be recommended would be John Dickens' book, Hearing Her Voice, A Biblical Invitation for Women to Preach. It has affirmation blurbs from J.I. Packer, Craig Bloomberg, uh, Graham Cole, and Chris Wright. And so if you're looking for a very thoughtful hundred page or so scholarly evangelical scholarly approach to a, a broader view than is being espoused on here today. I would probably recommend that you look at, look at that as they expand on first Timothy two twelve and other passages. Uh, in the first, the first church that I was on staff with, we had women deacons and um, that was different for me, but I, at first I was not sure about it, but then I, I got to a point where I affirmed it and honestly uh, uh, yeah. So I, and this goes back to me being an egalitarian and years ago, but it, my affirmation of women pastors really, as I thought more about it in retrospect had to do with prag, pragmatic ministry, not with biblical approach. 
because what I saw was many of those women who were deacons worked harder than the men who were deacons in that church. They, they were quicker to jump on and take care of issues that arose in the church, building needs and concerns, visitations that needed to be taken care of. And they seemed to almost several of them took the position more seriously than their male counterparts in the church that I was in at the time. So I hope, you know, as I, and so as I studied scripture more, went away to Southern, I changed my position while I was in seminary as I came across these passages. And it seemed that no matter how, how hard I tried to do theological gymnastics, uh, I was not able to get around the plain meaning of the text in this and asking that question of it's not an issue of can or equality, but an issue of should. All right. So back to this issue, though, with our friend Rick Warren out West. One of the things that I have seen in the is this week, a article written in the Baptist Press. Uh, and in this article, Ronnie Floyd, a former uh, SBC president, has requested that everyone speak on this issue diplomatically and lovingly. And so we I think we've done a pretty good job of that so far. Uh, I would be interested to hear from you brothers, though, what kind of a ripple effect do you think Saddleback being probably the largest SBC church, Rick Warren being most likely the most well-known Southern Baptist pastor in the United States, what kind of a ripple effect are we going to see in the convention from this? I think I, I could see this restarting a fire in conversation that in all honesty should have been settled 20 years ago. Um, I thought was settled 20 years ago, but I, I think or 40, I mean, 40, 40 years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, Baptist faith in 2000 was 21 years ago that it was voted on. So, I mean, the conversation started 40 years ago. I thought it would have been finished 20 years, 21 years ago. Um, or technically 22 because it's voted on in 99. But anyways, um, with that being said, like, you, you would think, or I, I would think, um, possibly in the, the great big city of Nashville, that there's a possibly a very good time for a conversation to be had when it comes to, you know, we're going to vote them out. Like, how, how long does it take for the credentials committee to formally put them on the list of bodies of Christ to be voted out? Because what they did Sunday violates what we believe as Baptists. It violates the Baptist faith of measure 2000. Um, so I think the ripple effect is one, you know, how fast does the convention work on this? And two, how many churches are there that because Saddleback and Rick Warren saw this as appropriate and okay, how many more churches decide to hop on board with this agenda again? Yeah, I think that's right on. I agree with, with your assessment there. Short term, I was going to say, I think just initially it's going to make the annual meeting in June a bit more interesting than it already was going to be. Um, it's definitely going to come up uh, probably in numerous settings. And I don't know what the outcome will be there, but um, the conversation probably needed to happen anyway, because it's been rolling along under the surface for the last few years, just sort of creeping up more and more. Um, with some of the things regarding statements, you know, Beth Moore and others have made. So this is probably just the, the, the kick to the front to make it really an item of discussion. And, and I think there will be some who see this as, well, if they can do it, why shouldn't we? Uh, there will be others that will just galvanize them 
further to to speak up against it. Um, and my concern is that it's, you know, whether you're for or against, it's not going to be done in the most gracious way. So I hope I'm wrong there, but uh, I'm, I am concerned. Baptists will fight dirty. What are you talking about? I've heard of that happening at least. It only happens in Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to ignite an old debate that we thought was settled, but apparently there is a sect or group who has um, broken with what was clearly stated. I, uh, I don't think it's an issue that now all Southern Baptist churches are going to become egalitarian. I don't think, I really don't think that'll ever happen. I think you'll have a swath of churches that would leave the convention before that would ever happen. Um, but I think that it, it has a potential to be a, I, I think it has a potential to be a slippery slope in some ways for us. So I'm, I'm concerned about it and how we're going to have the discussion about it. Um, I'm concerned about even in the disagreement that we disagree agreeably as well as, as unbelievers are watching so that when it's reported on, you know, the convention's not reported as a bunch of villains and saddle back the heroes, but understanding that they're breaking with what we have always affirmed and held to as, as a denomination, that this is not something new to mm-hmm. us, but that we have, we've had this discussion, this debate before it's settled. It, it is, it is an anomaly for a church to break with what has already been settled multiple times in the denomination's history. I, I, I think look, looking at this and just thinking through um, the practicality of arguing, arguing over this role, the, the issue I think is why it's coming back up is culture is pushing itself more and more against God's created order. And as culture has pushed itself further and further from the standards of which God has laid out in the Bible in an attempt to stay, quote unquote, relevant or an attempt to stay, quote unquote, um, non-bigoted, that churches are going to give in to the pushes of the culture to stay relevant. And I think what you're going to see, and I don't, I'm I'm with you, Travis, I don't think this is going to become an SBC all of a sudden in three years, five years, 10 years as egalitarian. Like there's no way you go to the backwoods of Alabama, the backwoods of the, the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Georgia. Like you get outside of big metropolitan areas, like that ain't going to fly. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, so I, you, I don't you look that. at the, uh, you look at the SBC job board postings, which I know everyone does on Monday mornings when they've had a rough Sunday. Uh, let's be honest. Everybody's laughing. You know, you can't see them, but they are. And if you look on the boards for all the job postings, 90% of them are not metropolitan areas. You know what I mean? Which points out the fact that the vast, I would argue probably the vast majority of Southern Baptist churches are in more rural settings, you know, more uh, like in Appalachia and other areas like that. So anyhow, yeah, that's why I don't think there's going to be any kind of flip of switch to, to become that way. It's it's not going to happen. Like it's just it's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, it didn't happen forty years ago. It's not going to happen now. I think to build off of what Matthew was saying there, 
you know, you, you think about the climate of the culture, late 80s into the 90s when all this was going on, and you think about the churches that that left uh, for the CBF, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and things like that, because they were churches who, who did believe in affirming uh, women pastors and saw the conservative resurgence was holding within the SBC, and the, the line was drawn there, and even into the Baptist faith and message 2000, you look at the culture and the climate then, and if you try to compare it to the culture and the climate now, I mean, things are just so much, seems like much more on edge right now. So if there's a disagreement, uh, the likelihood of, of getting through that disagreement peacefully uh, and without uh, slander, without backbiting without uh, hate-filled speech, you know, just doesn't seem likely in the way that things have been here uh, for the last, what, four years? And it's only been increasing over the last two, I guess. So I wonder about that. And, And then you also have to wonder, because of where the culture is, if that many churches left, or however many it was, left in the 80s and 90s, how many more uh, would leave here in in the 2020s, right? Just because the pressure of the culture in this direction is so much stronger now than, than what it was when I was growing up in the 90s. Not only that, but you look at the the way that news spreads as quickly as it does this day and time and how it's accessible everywhere almost instantly. It's going to be, you know, certainly like Chris said, it's going to come up in June and in a month from now, it's going to come up and in the, the annual convention meeting, but I just wonder where all it's going to go before that meeting's even over this year outside of national. I sit there and I think of this, okay? Well, because we had this, I had this, had I had to have this conversation earlier with some people here on staff. Is think back to I think it was three years ago we were in Dallas and the Houston Chronicle was coming out with all their articles on um, just sexual abuse that we'd had within the SBC, okay? Three years ago, for me to take my students to summer camp here in a month. I have to, which our church does it anyways, but for the adults to go to summer camp, I have to show evidence to the camp that they have been. Was that the case like three years ago? No, camps did not require me to sit there and do a background check. So I think what ends up happening is when this gets pushed and this this issue starts to rear its head again, I think as Southern Baptist, all we're going to do is just tighten down the hatches. Like, we're just going to more clearly articulate in a more modern way of 2021, articulate the Bible's teachings. And in doing so, we become stronger as Southern Baptists and being able to articulate our beliefs and our standards and why we think and act and do the things that we do. I mean, that, that's what happens anytime that the fire is pushed upon you and you have to reflect on what you're doing is when you come through it, you're, everyone is on a clearer page of, what does this mean for us and how do we operate? So, so I, I think, I mean, do we see all that here in Nashville? No. 
Do we see it in Anaheim? Yeah, we'll, we'll have more conversations about this in Anaheim. But I think by the time we get to Charlotte, like it's better clear, clearly articulated, and maybe even there's a new draft of the Baptist Faith Message. Who knows? But a clear articulation of the stance and beliefs that we hold at Southern Baptist. Yeah, I think there will be that. We we have a lot of pretty clear articulation. I'll put a link to biblical manhood and womanhood um, and their resources that's there and available. Also, want to if you if you're just diving into this issue of women in the pulpit, I want to recommend a, a book by a woman to speak to this and help you with this. Her name is uh, Mary uh, Cassian, and she writes this book called the feminist mistake. And so, you know, years ago, first wave feminist wrote the feminist mystique. She kind of crosses that out and it says mistake on it. And it's called uh, the radical impact of feminism on church and culture. In the book, she argues that we as a culture are so deep into feministic thinking that we're not even aware of how thinking our, our, how feministic our thinking is. And uh, in the book, she urges the issues the church is facing today. And this book is written in 2005. This is a few years older, but it's still relevant. Uh, An increasing confusion over gender roles in marriage, family, and churches. A growing number of theologians and denominations advocating radical gender egalitarianism, which is what we're seeing here. We must answer many questions about women in the church and in the wider culture. In order to do this, we must first understand the history and development of feminist thought. What's behind, what's driving women to go into the pulpit? You really didn't see a lot of this even addressed in church history until 1961. Uh, You know, I think what's driving this is first wave feminism and then second wave feminism, understanding what those things are and understanding that there's a detachment from scripture in those thinking. You know, of course, there was a need for some correction on how women were treated in our culture. And so on certain things, we might could go along and say that we are feministic and in agreement with them. We as Christians don't believe that uh, women should be sold or bought or abused, that that is degrading to them on multiple levels, and that that devalues them as creatures made in the image of God, beings made in the image of God. And so we would be in agreement with that. Uh, But there are other issues that we have seen feminism arrive at that we just can't go along with. And so this is a very thought-provoking inquiry into the history of feminism, if you'd like to read more on that and a nice, reliable, well-done biblical critique on those issues. So closing thoughts today, brothers, on these issues with uh, Women should women preach, and also with Saddleback and the situation we're in now. Rick Warren is in with the convention. Well, if I could, I really appreciated what you said. I think it was Matt who said it in terms of this being a biblical clarity issue. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be an urban versus rural; it's going to be a faithfulness to Scripture issue. And so, because we can trust that the Spirit will continue to build His church upon the Word and the profession of the gospel. We can trust that there will continue to be churches that that are able to hold the line, even as as the cultural pressure increases. So, so I, I like you guys have all expressed. I think the sad part about this, within kind of an SBC life spoken as an outsider, is is it just sort of it, it creates a new issue that can potentially cloud 
or confuse the gospel, both in terms of what Saddleback has done to begin with, but also in terms of how it's, it's now going to be talked about and, and the conversation they're going to have. And I don't think Warren has yet to say anything, if I'm, if I'm correct. They've not made any kind of statement that sort of outlines how they came to that decision or, or what they even mean or intend with, with giving that label of pastor, which I don't, I don't think was appropriate. But you see within complementarianism itself, sometimes people are trying to use that label without its maybe full biblical significance in the overall structure of the church. And if I could, I know I've just talked for a long time, I'd love to read a quote by C.S. Lewis that came out of Kathy Keller's book on this same issue. But, but in, in that book, C.S. Lewis said this, and this was written in 1948 as the Anglican Church was trying to decide on the issue of ordaining women. And he said, in the secular world, uh, men and women can, can and must be treated as unisex, interchangeable, neuters, citizens and workers. However, that is a fiction that we are allowed to shed when we return to the world of reality, God's world. There we may resume our real identities as men and women. And again, I, I think what I appreciate about Lewis staying, saying that is he was addressing the bigger issue, is, is when we begin to become confused on this issue, we, we oftentimes throw away any ability to speak to the uniqueness of manhood and womanhood, which ultimately is only going to hurt what God has been trying to tell us about himself through what he has created. I agree. And C.S. Lewis also made a statement that's helpful. Many would say, well, this was written for a place in time and it doesn't apply now. And he, Chris and I, I think we're talking about this issue yesterday. What did he call that, Chris? Was it um, chronological snobbery? Did I say that right? Yeah. When you think that you know better than your ancestors, uh, simply because uh, they're gone and they didn't have the access to information you've got. You must be right. That's snobbery of a chronological form. Just because we were born when we were born. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. Brothers, any other closing thoughts? Okay, I'm going to take us out here. I'm going to read a quote from our fearless president, the J.D. Greer, uh, writing to us from uh, uh, in the Baptist um, Press on the decision of Saddleback. J.D. Greer, current SBC president, pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, North Carolina. He has a whole blog, if you'd like to go read it, has said this, long respected Saddleback's ministry impact and heart for getting the gospel to the nations. I disagree with their decision to take this step and would even say I find it disappointing. Um, the Post shared the 2009 position paper that he had on women in ministry, and to quote Greer again, and said, in which we sought to consider how to stand firmly upon God's word while uh, platforming women to exercise the multitude of gifts God has given them. So I, I like that quote. I'm good with landing the plane there with J.D. Greer, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to be on today. So. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.